One thing that I found really frustrating between me and my mom is she would always define desiness as like what desis don't do. It's like desis to yeah, desis don't do that. And I'd be like, you can't define culture about by what I can't do. You have to give me something to work <laughs> with, mom. Can. Give me something to work with because it's like, but what do we do? Hey everyone, this is Sadia Khan, your host. On today's episode of The Pod, we have a guest that may be familiar to some of you and maybe not to others. I'm assuming many of my listeners are also familiar with the podcast See Something, Say Something by Ahmed Ali Akbar. And if you are, you've probably heard him mention the band The Kaminas once or twice, as the theme song for that show is written and performed by The Kaminas. Today, I'm speaking with Basim Osmani one of the founders of this punk band that was born out of Massachusetts in early 2000s. Whether you are or you're not familiar with the punk music scene, the words Pakistani-American punk music band might sound a little unexpected, as it definitely does to me. Since their inception, the Kaminas were lauded for breaking cultural boundaries and turning that which is unexpected into a reality. We will talk to Basim about this and a lot more. Welcome, Basim. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited that you're here and I know you have a busy schedule, but you could make time out for us. So I will start with the name of your band, mm-hmm. Kaminas. Yeah. I just love the name. Um, it's an Urdu word, right? And it means what? Scoundrel? Yeah, Urdu? scoundrel is good. Scoundrel yeah. is and good. it's very in your face, bold, raw, and it just sets the tone for what should be expected of this band. So who came up with this name? Before me and Shah Jahan started formally playing together, um, I definitely had an idea in my head of what if there was a South Asian punk band? You know, what I, it, it, there, there are other punk bands that come through the USA from other countries, from, from Japan or Brazil. Or I was very exposed to also second-generation immigrants forming bands around their identity. Um, and, the, and the punk scene is very, very much about your opinion and your soapbox and, 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 you know, some people are very serious about being vegetarian. Some people are really serious about being Hare Krishna. Some people are really serious about being all sorts of uh, identities in punk music. And I always thought it made a lot of sense for there to be something like the Kaminas. And that name, Kaminas, I was, I was, I was scrawling it. It was definitely like before I think we even had band members. I was like, it's got to be Kaminas. We have to wear black boots with green laces. Like, there's all of these fantastical, you know, because I was drawing in the margins of my notebooks, and um, I did have this kind of f- fantasy, I guess. I wanted to do it, you know? And um, definitely the name c- came before the bed a little bit. Not too much before, but, you know, it was the name. Then talked to my friends who played, who were all playing, but we'd never really played together. Like, I'd be like, oh, Shah Jahad, he plays at that bed. Or, you know, Corno plays in this band or like, you know, Abdullah plays in that band. And we're all into different things. And we were more like um, the one brown friend in our own individual friend groups, you know, like in our separate ones, like, you know, because they're all different high schools. Oh, OK. So um, so we were like we we would meet at Sunday school at the Islamic Center because um, our parents would drag us there. And then they'd be like, oh, you got a new guitar pedal. Cool. Or like, oh, you got to be, we'd talk and chat a little bit on the sidelines of the masjid, you know, about the new music stuff that we were getting interested in. And then it just occurred to us that we should do this. You know, we were, um, we all played, but we just didn't play together. And our parents would always be like, 
oh, he plays as well. You guys should be best friends. And we kind of resented that, you know, because our moms were perpetually trying to set us up with, you know, you should have, how about a nice friend from the masjid? How about this guy, Shah Jahan? He's oh, a nice okay. boy from the masjid. Okay, he also plays it, guitar. Yeah. And it's just like, naturally, it sets it up for us to be suspicious of each other. He's like, oh, no, he's like the son of the president at the masjid. You know, yeah. I was like, I just like, everyone knows Shah Jahan. Like when Shah Jahan goes, like, he was born and raised in that community. So all the aunties know him, all the uncles know him. He's the son <laughs> of the of the of the president of the Islamic Center, Malik Sab. And you want to be friends with him? I, I, I didn't want to be. I was. I moved you didn't, from, but your mother wanted. My, you my to mom be. wanted me, and I, I um, you know, I was. I, I moved to the suburbs of Massachusetts as a sixteen-year-old. I got expelled from HSN. I had to come. So you were in, studying in Lahore. HSN is in Lahore, right? Yeah, it's a it's a HSN. I don't want to spend too much time on it. I don't really yeah, like the I, place. Yeah, but I would like to know why were you expelled? My brother and my father both went to Atchison, so I have like... Um, uh-huh. It's, um, it's a... There was a lot of... They, they call these things pink cards. You would get them if you were either roughhousing or, or being um, disrespectful or disobedient. Atchison is very much a British school. You it know is. what I mean? It's like... Yeah. If a boy is older than you, you call him sir. That was like... <laughs> it did not agree with me. Like, I was just like... <laughs> What do you mean I have to call him sir? He's like six months older than you know? <laughs> Or like he could make me come on Sunday to do a drill yeah. because he didn't like the way I looked at him. Yeah. And he has that authority. It was just always, it was really hard to, it's a very hierarchical, outdated British cult. You know, it's a cosplay. You know how you say costume play? Like it's just like we're all in that British costume, you know, for it. <laughs> but um, but pink cards, I, I had so many pink cards. You're supposed to get expelled at three. I had so many. It was just like, <laughs> like give him another pink card. And then people would people would cloud on me and be like, oh, you're more proud of having a pink card than like going to HSN. I was like, yeah, I have a pink card. I was um it was the it was negative reinforcement and I lived for it. I lived for it because I, I moved there as a 10 year old and I got made fun of for two years. Then my Urdu and Punjabi got better. Then I um that I fit in, but maybe with the wrong crowd. You know what I mean? Like, I sort of tried to fit in, and then I ended up fitting in with the back row of the classroom. You know what I mean? So, Basim, said. you were born here, yeah. and you were here, like, you until you were 10, yeah. and then you went to Pakistan, to Lahore, uh, Lahore for, yeah. like, what, for, like, two, four, three years, right? Yeah, for, like, 94 to 98. Yeah, and, like, four years, and then you came back. Yeah. So, HSN is when you were there. Uh, and when I was there. And then and then when I left HSN, I had to move in with my dad in Massachusetts. Um, and he was not happy about what had happened <laughs> at HSN. He was like very, it was a little strict, you know. It was like, you're going to restart high school. We're, I'm going to choose all your classes. You're going to like go to the library, come home, go to soccer practice, do school. That You know what I mean? Like it was very limited. No, no hanging out. I mean... I'm a boy, so I can get away with a lot more than you can. So I definitely broke those rules. But it was very strict, you know what I mean, right when I got there. And then on top of that, I was like, oh, yeah, be friends with Shah Jahan at the boss. He's a really nice guy. So me and Shah Jahan and uh, just like the various other uh, South Asian members that I played with, in the beginning, there's always the same kind of icebreaker if you're Pakistani-American in the music scene. Where it's like, well, there's another one. Oh, are you exactly like me or are you... A bit, <laughs> a bit different, or um, for I I come at it from a different angle because I was in Lahore when uh, the music scene was popping off. So mm-hmm. in between, so when I was like those four years I spent in Pakistan, there was 
cover bands. There was uh, concerts happening pretty regularly. There was a big scene there for and music. I, and I was going to ask you about Junoon. And oh, yeah, this is the, around the time when Junoon was picking up as yeah. well. And like, so Junoon is considered a Sufi punk band, right? Yeah, Sufi rock. Yeah, or, um, they're called a lot of things. But the most important thing to me for Junoon was they really made a Pakistani rock sound for yeah. sure. They did like they made it. There's a lot of songs that I hear on the radio that that sound like you could just replace the Urdu for Korean or English, you know, just be fine. But in, in Janoon, there was something intrinsically they see with their music that I thought was cool. But yeah, Janoon had just was a popular band in Pakistan at the time. Their song had just been uh, banned from the air by Nawaz Sharif's government, I remember. And there was like kind of a punk vibe to them that they had like a band song, you know what I mean? That, that this song was not allowed to be played. They had a release at the time called Atasab, which I mean, I, what does that mean? Like non-corruption? I don't know how to translate Yeah, it's accountability. Accountability, yeah. yeah. It's like non-corruption, my brain is. <laughs> accountability. You know, so their, their songs are very, very... They had a song called Talash that was very, very... I used to listen to it on repeat. It would just be about loving where you're from and um, not feeling insecure about it. Yeah. You know, it really felt... Uh, it, it felt like it was indicting the whole country that you're all insecure and you yeah. don't have to be and it's um that song was really moving but i also like the boy bands like avaz or like the other you know i was 11 or 12 and it was around the time where like i knew i needed to get my urdu and punjabi better and what a better time than with all of these music yeah. everywhere you know so i got i didn't have a dish antenna i had a the two channels PTV and STN yeah. <laughs> and on a STN so you so I didn't have you you either have a it's like the Pakistani version of basic cable is the yeah. satellite antenna <laughs> you have everything or you have just the regular state TV so I had the state TV at STN because my parents were like you're not going to be watching Cartoon Network in Pakistan you know you're here to learn about Pakistan <laughs> so um, on STN late at night they have a sketch comedy show called VJ three comedians and they would just present music videos and do little uh, skits in between. Yeah, I pretty much learned everything from watching this, this music show late at night, you know, everything about being Pakistani. Like I assimilated yeah. into Pakistan through this music show. That's how I fit in, you know, like I watched the show, I learned the bands, I learned the songs, started making friends at school. Like it, it was uh, life changing. Music was in that way. But when you came here and you went to high school, how different were other Pakistanis or Desis? Very different. Different, right? Very because different. you had already spent a few years in Pakistan and learned the language. So how did you come, then how did you like create this band with all different people coming from all different high schools, as you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there is a cultural difference sometimes, I feel, between, between me and uh, other Pakistani Americans especially, but also Indian Americans. It's like, I'm used to seeing Pakistanis in all sorts of situations, you know, from from the cop to the robber to the addict to the police, you know, to everyone. Everyone is, you know, in Lahore. It's like you see all, all sorts types, of yeah, all, all sorts of different people. Yeah. Or like I knew so many kids in bands, you know, or I knew um, my friend, his mom was a, a, a movie director. Or like, you know, I knew all sorts of different types of Pakistanis. And then when I came over here and I talked to Pakistani Americans, it was like so narrow, their perception of what Pakistanis can be. So what was their perception? Like their perception is that like, okay, we like only become doctors and engineers. And you know, like some things are true for certain households, but they're not true for everyone. Yeah. Or like sometimes I would get annoyed. I'd have like, you know, a friend who's like, maybe like an Indian friend will come over and he'd be like, oh, so Pakistanis do it this way or Pakistanis <laughs> have this. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not representative of Pakistan like my family we're like a little funky bunch yeah. 
just like every other Pakistani family out there. We all have different, you know, but there's not many of us in America, Pakistanis. And it's like yeah. because of that, we get excited. And then people also want to be like, this is what Pakistan is like. Whereas for me, it's I can't do that because it's like, it's a very diffuse concept. And it's so diverse, right? Yeah. And what you're saying is, I think one of the reasons could be because most Pakistanis who come to the U.S., are engineers and doctors. And I think that just makes it more homogenous group than what you see in Pakistan, right? I totally agree. And even what you see in um, UK or Toronto. You know what I mean? I go to UK or Toronto and it's like, um, yeah, it's like all sorts of desis are there. Um, And over here as well, all sorts of desis are too, but it, it definitely feels like the rich desis have like owned the narrative, you know? Like the the, the way yeah. that the stories are told. Mm-hmm. Like the story's never about when you when you open up a book about South Asians, more likely you're, it's going to be a wealthy desi writing the essay, even though there are plenty of blue-collar desis that immigrate here. It's you're like, right. Yeah. It's like it's usually like, I couldn't relate to all the white kids in my nice suburb, you know? Like that type <laughs> of thing. I'm not, it's legitimate angst. I'm not saying it's it not. Yeah. But it's just like, it's the only angst there is. Like, whereas, yeah. you know, it's always a, a revelation to be in places over here where all the small business owners are Sikh or Punjabi or, or Pakistani. It's, I feel very good about those places. You know, it's like, I, I feel very welcome in those places. But, you know, those, those stories, like the, the writers from that are not told enough. And I think I'm guilty of doing that. I've not been able to reach out to those, bring those stories to the fore. And I, mm-hmm. I should be doing that more. You're right. Now I, now I feel bad. I no, feel don't, don't feel bad. It's like, I mean, you get, you get the book and you find, you, you find the authors that are, that are published. But Pakistani American, in my mind, like there's, there's, there's a, a little bit like an, a, a new, newly rich vibe to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A nouveau riche type vibe to it. Like, um, where, where I just feel like it, the, it's just very classist. I just feel like the, the Pakistanis I meet in Toronto or in the UK are more down to earth, are more around many, many other different Pakistanis. I mean, this is a huge generalization, but... No, I think you may be right. But again, and I think it boils down to different social classes that they're coming from. I think yeah. in the U.S. you see a certain social class that comes to the U.S. Yeah. for education and then they settle. And I think in the U.K. you see a different social class and that's why you see more diversity Definitely. Um, of thought and expression there. Um, and amongst Pakistanis, you, you see all different sorts and sizes and yeah. forms of Pakistanis. Absolutely. And that, that, that's a very powerful kind of privilege that even if on average Pakistanis in the UK are poorer than Pakistanis in the US, less educated, have to deal with more discrimination in my view, like and more obstacles. Absolutely. Absolutely. But even even with that, there is a certain power with my with my that my cousins have over there in the UK where there's dozens and dozens and dozens of, of, of them and they feel very they have a little bit of a, a, a backbone that sometimes mm. You, you, you get from, from having a community, I guess. I guess mm-hmm. we try to uh, run away from our identity more so than others. Yeah, yeah. Or, or we try to act In- like every Pakistani is like that. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, oh yeah, no, we're Pakistanis. We don't smoke cigarettes or whatever. Yeah. At least I'll make, put your <laughs> insert the blank, you know? Yeah. And they'll be like, you know that it's not true. Yeah. But they tell themselves that because it makes them feel good. Yeah. It's just a... It's funny, but that's one one thing that I think when I moved to Massachusetts, a lot of the other uh, uncles and aunties at the mosque thought of me as a bad influence on the kids. Because they, they're, and it was like, whenever I talk to kids who are all adults now, 
I'd be like, yo, my mom did not want me <laughs> hanging out with you at all. Like, there, I just heard this so many times. It would just be like, what was the worst thing that I could have done? But I just feel like I was questioning, yeah. you know? And I was like, I know that this is, it's all jokes. It's like, you know, you're lying to your kids. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, Pakistanis, you know, we don't do this. You know, like this, this whole concept is a very, like, it's a snow globe. As a parent, I can understand why they would do that because I think they, they just want to simplify things for their kids. Like, they don't want them to understand the nuances of what is and what isn't. But I think it's probably changing. Like, with my generation of parents, I think we are more open mm -hmm. and we are more, um, I think, accepting of what Pakistan or Pakistani culture really entails. Um, you're right. Maybe your parents' generation or they like. I think it may have been a little different in mm. that sense. I think it may be more black and white, or maybe it it still is. Maybe maybe I am uh, an outlier. I don't know. I mean, we might be outliers. I think that because you you know you have a podcast, you're an artist type. Yeah. You know, we are we kind of by default a little different. Yeah. We're we're from the quote unquote norm or whatever, yeah. but. Yeah, I think that it's it's a lot of, um, I think it takes years. I think it takes, it's a process of years. It's a process of years, but they forget all of the bad memories and they only remember the good ones yeah. and then they impose it on their kids. Yeah. Like, you know, that, uh, and then it's also like, sometimes I talk to my mom and uh, my mom's a very successful woman. She's a, she's a professor. She's uh, extremely brilliant. She's the breadwinner in my family. She's basically a stereotypical dominant Pakistani woman, you know, like, I don't know how to put it, but she's very much like the head of the house, you know, like she is the matriarch, everything. My mom has final say. She, um, and it's like, she sometimes doesn't have any respect for like what I'm going through, like racism or whatever, <laughs> like whatever, like any of these little things. It's just like, it's um, hard for my mom to see it's like her, herself in my shoes. So I want to talk about that. Uh, yeah. You, I was reading your article, your op-ed, in fact, in the Boston Globe, mm -hmm. where you talk about, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's a brilliant article because you just deconstruct how immigration is dealt with in, in the U.S. and how hypocritical it is, the system itself. And you talk about how you were interrogated at Canadian border once and, and that you talk about how uh, immigrants are put into these different categories or typecasted, like so they oh, yeah. are undesirable versus desirable but then that that desirable card is revoked once you're at the airport. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Basim? As a musician, you find yourself traveling a lot, of traveling a lot. And it's, a, as a, I guess, for, as an artist, I guess you could be an actor too, because I was remembering Riz Ahmed's piece in The Good Immigrant was about an airport yeah. as well. Um, but airports and customs are just factor very heavily in my mind, very, very heavily in my mind. And each time I say Bismillah before I go through, <laughs> cross my fingers, and if there's no issues, it always feels like I won the lottery. You know what I mean? I always feel, even even if like out of the past, I crossed the border a lot because um, I'm going between Toronto and USA a lot nowadays. Nowadays, I think I, I have a pretty good rate of making it through with no issues. You know, <laughs> like out of 10 times, maybe it'll be like one time I'll get stopped. But like there was a time in my life just a few years ago where like mm. for whatever reason, there must have been a little star next to my day. It's like mm. every time I would get pulled aside, stopped. Even when I would travel with my family, they'd pull me aside and my whole family would have to wait. I don't know what they were trying to do. I felt, honestly, I felt Nothing. like... I just felt bullied. Yeah, I honestly it is felt exactly. like bullied, you know? Absolutely. Um, completely bullied. They make you wait around and then eventually, you know, the guy that 
is supposed to question you comes to the office, you know, in his Homeland Security office, like, or whatever, <laughs> uniform. <laughs> One time I got stopped um, right outside of Niagara Falls um, on my way to, on my way back to the USA. It's always on my way back to the USA. Mm. It's so funny that it's like, in my own country. Yeah. Is the, is the Coming issue. back home is Coming more back difficult. Yeah. It's the hardest part. Mm. And this passport is so annoying because as a Pakistani, I know that I am so blessed to have this blue passport. You know, mm. I have so many friends of Pakistan that are aspiring, like filmmakers or this and that, who just like want to go to school here so bad. <laughs> like, you know, and I, the, the most I can do for them is internet research, you know, like, <laughs> I don't really have a lot of help. I, yeah. I can't give people passports that it's just like, I have such a valuable one, but it, I still get issues when I'm coming back. I just made to feel second class. It sucks. And it's like the questions that I would get are really weird leading questions because they're trying to, when a Homeland Security officer, especially, I guess, the, the high ranking ones, they're trying to be your friend and get information out of you. And it can get very bizarre. <laughs> like sometimes they'll just, they don't, just like police, they're not obligated to tell the truth. They can legally lie to you. Yeah. So, so one time I got stopped and this Homeland Security agent, she was just matching everything I said. So she'd be like, um, why are you in Canada? I'd be like, oh, I'm about to play a show. I've got my bass. And she'd be like, oh, my brother's in a bed. He also plays bass. I'd be like, really? It was like every little thing she asked. She would always match it with, oh, yeah, some of my friends does one of these. I'd be like, oh, that's so interesting. Are we just chatting right now? Or like, why am I in this screening room? Yeah. You know? But it was like dangerous, you know? I was like, oh, my God, I better watch how I answer this. But she's trying to be my friend. That was how she wanted to. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, what's your bandmate's name? Or I'd, oftentimes they'd hear my bandmate's names and they want all their phone numbers because it's just like, they're like, his name's Abdullah Saeed. Give me his number. <laughs> Who's the other one? Muhammad Shah Jahan Khan. Give me his number. Yeah, maybe because they are first, they're surprised that there is like a band of uh, musicians a full band. of Arabic yeah. names, Arabic sounding <laughs> names. Uh, but I also feel like it's a tragedy because I got so much solace looking for other Middle Eastern, South Asian, African, Caribbean artists in mm. the music scene, and. You know, when you go get into like the background of some of these artists, like they've changed their name. They've like a, like one of the famous surf rock guitarists, Dick Dale. He invented surf rock music. He does all of the. Whenever you hear like a, it's very iconic guitar stuff that is and used in movies everywhere. But he's Lebanese and his uh, his name is Dick Dale. You know, like <laughs> or just like Freddie Mercury is a great example. He's oh a my great God. example I'm of that. I'm obsessed with him. I was like, and then for my mom, my mom says Freddie Mercury is the ideal. Pakistani Pakistanis and Pakistani Americans are very different. When I go to Pakistan, they'll be like, I only respect Freddie Mercury because he did it without using this identity stuff that you guys do. Like, you guys are just a gimmick. You know, like... Really? I feel like Pakistani Pakistanis... That's so strange, though. The ones that I know, they're like, why do you have an issue with white people, man? White people are all right. You sound kind of racist against them. And I'll be like... I mean, it, they they have the the Pakistanis I'm talking about are you know well-to-do like Lahori's who are in the majority and they have a lot of power and they just don't understand what it's like to be a minority. But here's the thing, Basim. <laughs> I I grew up in Pakistan. I was born there, and again, I was not in the minority. Right? I come here, and I I see how minorities are treated, especially post 9/11, and now 
post-2016 elections. And it bothers me. And what you're saying, although like, your experiences and my experiences are different. You're American, right? I am an immigrant. My friends tell me the same thing. Why is it such a big deal? You're too sensitive. Yeah. Why are you so sensitive? They haven't you make, been yeah. here. They don't no, know. But, but and they, it bothers me. And they don't have the empathy to realize that if you just step outside of your gate in Pakistan, you can see so many systems of oppression just yeah. everywhere, everywhere. And it's just like, you know, and, and people don't really understand that, like how majority minority works. Like it's okay if a Shia family is a little bit careful or wants to be by themselves a little bit, you know, yeah. in Lahore. I'm from a very Sunni family, but I always hear of like, look at them, they want to be separate alone. I'm like, guys, they're just scared, man. They yes. just want to be like to themselves. They're just, and it's like, I relate to that being uh, whatever, a Muslim here in the USA. Because exactly. we're doing the same thing that the, the Shia Muslims are doing in Pakistan. or the, But they don't understand it. They don't understand what majority power is or what, mm. you know what I mean? What it means to be, um, but you know, marginalized. Exactly. You know, like they don't understand that. And, and that's sad because they are being marginalized. <laughs> And That's really, the irony of it. They, and it's annoying to me because it's like they also could be co-opting like something that the Kavitas do yeah. as being like, yeah, they're like doing something good for us. They're making us look good. And I'm like, man, like, you know, make yourself better. <laughs> like, yes. you know, like, uh, because because I'm not trying to be a Pakistani chauvinist. I'm yeah. just like writing about it as, you know, it's just the vocabulary I'm using, you know. But I think that in Pakistan... Mm. I sometimes wonder, like, I hope that, I hope they don't think of me as some, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. So your <laughs> music, Basim, specifically, like, so when you started out, it was very, like, ethnocentric, right? Mm -hmm. And and there were, like, there was religious undertones, and you, you, it was very provocative, right? Have you moved away from that? Are you focusing on something else now? Is it as politicized or, like, or not? We had a revelation on our second album where uh, we were, like, doesn't matter what we write, people are going to read into it with politics, you know? So so that's where we got to have a lot more fun. Like, one thing I always wanted to do was take a Punjabi culture and find a, where, how, where it can, like, combine with punk, you know? So there's, like, um, a poem by uh, Munir Niazi called uh, Hone de Hile. But it's, like, very famous for, like, one one verse, which is, like, um, which is, like, and some of the roads were hard. Mm. Anyway, 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 sorry, sorry. Should I get into that? I won't get in too far yeah, into no, it. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. With our second album, we tried to take Punjabi culture and add it to punk in a more of a conceptual way where we're like trying to add the language to the music. And it was more like trying to create an, a style, you know, of music. And it was more about like imagining, it was more of a concept, you know, or like taking reggae songs and and singing Urdu or Punjabi parts in it, or even just writing, getting the grammar checked by people, and like, you know, feeling comfortable writing in a different language. Like that became, it be, there were these benchmarks for me, personal artistic ones, creative ones. And in our second album, we started tackling those about what does it mean? Because it can't just be, it can't just be, I felt like I couldn't just be a tantrum over and over, or not tantrum, it couldn't always be a, a poly polemic, you know? Yeah. It had to be some beating heart behind it. And I think that we, we, there was like, started writing more love songs and things like that. But but we never shied away completely. Like, we're about to put out an album, which I'm very excited about. And there's a lot of political music. We never stopped making overtly political music. But 
we also like to try to make just beautiful music where we're combining some underground rock stuff with some of the some of our, our heritage and in new ways and alternative ways that that I feel like we can do that other people maybe they don't have the the experience you know I spent 14 years just playing in punk shows like driving around taking flights playing everywhere you know so it's like I have this experience I'm just trying to make it make something musical out of it you know I'm hoping so you're not just a musician you're a writer as well and that's how I found out about you because I read awesome. your essay in the good immigrant mm-hmm. and you take portions of your old tour diaries and turn them into this narrative right mm-hmm. what was it like to revisit those moments where you know as a group you might have found yourself completely isolated in in the midst of white America yeah no it's really hard because when you're when you're alone in a small group you turn on each other when you get lonely and it can be really like you can get closer but you can also get anxious very very anxious i remember one time we were i think it might have been i don't know if it was new mexico but it was it was just this um gas station in the middle of the, the, occasionally you see these are just gas stations in the middle of nowhere you know like literally <laughs> like literally especially like new mexico or places where it's in between la and texas typically there's this 30 hour drive of of just amazing landscape and no people it feels like sometimes you know and um we were at a gas station and uh, one of my band members he locked the the keys of the van and then bunch of bikers like just show up at this like little desolated like, <laughs> desolated gas station because they like they're probably getting together to, to drink some coffee and or like whatever pudos buy some cigarettes but they all show up together and i just remember like being angry you know what i mean Ben, you locked the keys in the van <laughs> here no but this is I mean, not a good place to do that but it's like little mistakes like that but we were fine you know but yeah. at the same time it's like um you know, you it's it's it can be a little anxiety ridden when you're on the road because it's like you don't have, especially like a, a independent artists like us, we have an opportunity to play quite often abroad and we get to go out and play and that's one of the best things about the, being in the Caminas is um being able to travel and play music, and I get you know put up and treated well, but it's not like a full time job. But at the same time, I'm not losing any money. I'm getting paid to go out places and play. You know, when I when I get booked, so it's like. Not having that support structure can be a little nerve-wracking, you know, in, in some places. Like a, in a, in Germany or... In... You know, but Germany is an interesting place. Every time... I, so I've only been to Berlin. And every time I go there, especially... And I've been since the 2016 mm-hmm. elections. I've been to Germany twice. Surprisingly, every time I go, I feel like people in Germany are so nice. Oh, yeah. Well, Berlin is awesome. they are so welcoming. <laughs> Maybe I'm comparing them to people here right now and how how everybody is so angry all the time sure. and, and, and the country is so divided. You don't see that. Like, every time I'm there, I'm like, oh, my God, people are smiling at me. Berlin is a special place. Berlin is a special place. But if you were in, like, Nuremberg or if you were in um, some of the other cities mm-hmm. over there... It's different. It's different. Very, very different. Mm-hmm. Berlin is... a very special place though it is a special place and it's like maybe not that german you know yeah. what i mean in terms of but, but it's like but i didn't want to put germany on blast but definitely places wherever in the uk and in, in in manchester or you know it could even be in kansas it could be outside of toronto but like uh, any of these places that like you're in a lot of unfamiliar territory you're 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 stressed out. Sometimes you could get pulled over for no reason by a cop for like a lane change, you know? 
yeah, and you're four brown guys that aren't related to each other. <laughs> who it like a van yeah. full of people. So it's just like I didn't. I just feel like it's a. Uh, it can be. It can be stressful. There's a lot of. There's a lot of obstacles there, but at the same time, it's so fulfilling. It's so so fulfilling, and it's also these places like, like even Nuremberg or Kansas uh, City or or wherever. Like, these are worthwhile places, and there's um. You know, there's also brown people there too. You know, it's just like someone's got to go out there and play. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, it's also normalizing brown punk band sure. because it's predominantly white, right? Yeah. That's that's the reputation that punk sure um, absolutely music and, has absolutely. And it's like um those kids they are you know since we are on the road occasionally in the summers for like a month at a time or two months at a time we'll be like we will be playing these places where. You know, there'll be four Desi kids in, in a place I didn't expect there'd be. They'll be like, yeah, we love you. It'll be like, you know, it'll be really fun because we've made that connection with people. Um, and then they get to see us, which is nice. How did you, like, combat that stereotyping or that typecasting about punk bu- music being all, like, white. white? Oh, I mean, that's an ongoing thing. So there's a big uh, Latino punk scene, which is hmm. way, way, way... Um, Bigger than anything South Asians could come up with here in the USA. Mm-hmm. Much, much bigger. They, uh, there's big uh, Latino punk fests. They happen annually where they book a bunch of bands. But then on the regular, like on any given Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, something's going on in Brooklyn or New Jersey or Chicago or Houston. So that scene has been... Like, you find allies. You find allies like that, you know? Or um, you find... Because it is very much opinionated, like, vocal scene, there are more than just white guys in there, you know? Because it is, like, you know, it can be attractive to someone in theory. You know, it's like, <laughs> to be like, oh, yeah, I want to I wanna get up there and yell about something, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so there is something universal there. It's a very white scene. I noticed that I, we, we exist outside of it. It's so funny. It's like we, our fan base is, like, predominantly, like, POC or brown. Honestly, sometimes, like, from a monetary way, it might be better if we had a few white friends, yeah. you know, like, fans. But but um, we have a scene a l- unto ourselves where we play our fan base, whatever, the 50 or so kids that will come out to see us are, like, distinct from every other band's audience. You know what I mean? And then we come in with our own little... And it was... Uh, it, it reminds me of the early days of the band where... It meant a lot to meet someone else who was into the same music and had the same background as me. It just felt very rare, but that I just like, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I know an Egyptian hardcore kid from here, and I know, you know what I mean, a Tamil ska punk guy from here, and I know, you know, like in my head, I was like, I felt very, very connected to all of the different people of color that found themselves in that little yeah. world, you know? And it is probably growing, right? So you see yeah. more diverse community within punk music realm. Um, Basim, I have a question from my intern. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like, she's talking about herself. Many Pakistani Muslim American youth find ourselves in positions where we experience a sort of cultural confusion. How do we maintain our heritage while also pursuing a new kind of culture in America? So this is like, and I think I see that with a lot of young kids, like mm-hmm. they are confused. And there is a lot of pressure, I think, from parents to maintain that cultural identity and yet being able to integrate into American society as well. Yeah, I guess it it, it depends because it's like one thing that I found really frustrating between me and my mom is she would always define desidus as like what desis don't do. It's like desis don't do that. And I'd be like, 
can't defy culture by, by what I can't do. You have to give me something to work <laughs> with, mom. Can. Give me something yeah. to work with. Because it's like, then what do we do, mom, in place of all yeah. of these things that they're doing over here? And in Pakistan, it's a great thriving light, nightlife. There's great arts and culture. And it's a 360 degree. I was like, you know, it's a full life. Yeah. And, and it's over here. It's a lot of respectability politics. A lot of respectability mm-hmm. politics. A lot of... um succeeding in going to a good school, making good money and um you know, like there's a the polite there's the polite upper class Pakistani American ideal, I think, in my mind, which is like that's no culture to me. You know what I mean? That's not a culture. That's more of um it's respectability politics. It's more of a I don't know how to put it, but that's it's not a cultural thing. You know, though, it's like a Yeah, it's it's a very interesting perspective and one that makes so much sense. I never thought about it because I think as a parent, I do some of what other parents do. And sometimes I feel I'm not doing enough. But what you're saying makes so much sense that we don't expose our kids to the to the real Pakistani culture. And we just put them in these um, silos and we and we show them what should be. And as you said, we always say, oh, don't do this. Yeni karna. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, we never talk about what we what, do what we do. You're like, like, absolutely we right. should go play, have some basant time, or yeah. like, you know, I mean, what are the what are our cultural events that we celebrate? Like, or um, you know, I've, I've I would love going to uh, the there'd be this mazar like on Thursday nights in Lahore. There's like there'd be like playing drums till like four a.m. You know, and I mean, there weren't that many women there, but women did show up occasionally, yeah. and uh, we just like sit there, get the contact high from all of the cash being smoked around yeah. us and then watch this guy play drums for eight hours, you know, four hours straight, yeah. you know, through the load shedding would happen, still banging on the drum. And it's like, it's a concert every Thursday night, you know, of like yeah. something traditional. And so, you know, they'd re- they, they would recite like Hiranja, uh, which is a very, very famous like Punjabi poem. And uh, it'd like right at Badshah Masjid steps. I'd like, this is the way poetry... I, I really felt like Pakistani Americans were deprived of so much mm. of these things. Like, of, you know, like oh, of, of, the, of the arts, especially. Yeah. I, um, and I, I, it made me feel kind of sad sometimes to hear... Because I got... I, I, I was lucky. I got to live there, you know? I was yeah. lucky in that way. So I had... So I know better than my mom does about some things. It feels so good to say that. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's totally um, sad when you when you talk to a Pakistani American and they're like, they're just insecure about being Pakistani because it's just it's more of a it's a it's a hole. They don't it hasn't been filled yet. They don't know what's what's supposed to go there. You know. And honestly, it's very bland. And it's boring. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why they are even more confused. Because, like, the more I think about it, the more what you said makes sense. Because why why can't we, as Pakistani Americans, expose our kids to Punjabi poetry? Or, like, so I I am Pathan, ethnically. Mm -hmm. I speak Pashto at home. Mm -hmm. Um, I could expose them to that. Yeah. And why not? And those, like, music. And um, we don't do that. We We don't. And it's interesting because it's like, for example, Pashto movies are huge in Pakistan right now. Oh, they're, like, they're, they're like they're they're bad. <laughs> they're really bad. But you know, I watch a lot of bad movies. Like I love yeah. John Wick. I watch that. <laughs> like you know, it's like give me a Pashto John Wick. It's like I, I understand. Like Fast and Furious is not a deep movie. I loved yeah. it. I was like, um, that might be Punjabi in me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's like there's so much culture that's happening there. Um, the internet has definitely helped in terms of 
like, for example, the culture of desi memes, for example, yeah. or, 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 you know, it's such a thing. So, so when I see my little cousins that are brought up over here, they have a little sense of how cool the kids are over there, you know? Like, they don't feel detached from them. They feel a connection digitally with, uh, with, with the Pakistani youth or Indian youth that are living over there. So it's like, the internet has helped with that, with the memes and stuff. Music's gotten a little cheap, honestly, but I'm just getting old. But <laughs> no, you're right. I don't see many bands or maybe I I don't even keep track of what bands are out there in Pakistan. I haven't really seen much recently. You're a musician, so you probably are more in touch with what's going on. What's the music scene in Pakistan right now? I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a girl group called Garamande that are really good. Oh, really? And their song is called Ma Ben Kadanda. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good. I, I should check that out. They played out. the Aurat March. You should check oh, it out. Oh, wow. Yeah. I should definitely check it out. So before we end <clears> the interview, Basim, I always ask all my guests this question. If you were to define America uh, in a word, sentence, how would you do that? Uh, s- stolen. <laughs> it's okay. totally, it totally is stolen. It's so messed up. But it's like... I was talking to some kids. And this is this is one of my favorite stories in Pakistan where they were like, someone said Christopher Columbus discovered America. And I was like, Christopher, there were people living there. Did, did the British discover Pakistan? And then and then you see you see the things, the synapses in their heads explode. They're like, Whoa, I've been saying this for so long and it's totally white supremacist. But like, you know, it's um it's another place, you know, honestly. It's like, yeah, yeah it's like it's I've, I've it's not Pakistan, which bums me out. Yeah, no, that's true. that's true. That's true. So, Basim, your album, new album, comes out soon. It's your fifth album, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, when does it come out? We're thinking July fourteenth. July fourteenth, and where can people check it? Uh, you can check it on Bandcamp, which is kaminas.bandcamp.com. But you can also, I wanted to say, on July fourteenth, we're gonna be playing in Jackson Heights. Oh wow! We're gonna be right in front of. Everything, king kebab, everything. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I'll be there. Nice. And thank you so much, Basim. This was so good. And honestly, what what you said, now I'm going to go home, think through it, and maybe change the way I am teaching my kids about Pakistani culture. It's It makes a lot more sense coming from you than, you know, I, I never thought about those things. But thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to my pod. Help us grow. Share my podcast with whoever you can and come back next week for another interesting story in the meantime stay connected 